Father, we just again just uh, come to you and humbly approach your word and, and just ask today that you just again open up this great truth that, that Jesus has done everything he can do for us to open the way into your holiest of holies. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. And Lord, help us to, to just understand what a great privilege that is and how, Lord, it's been, it's been open and nothing can shut that door the way into your your holiest of holies is open, and Lord, we can go in any time we want. And so, Lord, we just ask for you to show us the value of that great truth. And, and uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless all of our service today, the, the message. And as we, as we do the Lord's Supper after the, the message, we just ask for your presence here. And we know you're here, Lord, and we, we sit you in our worship, and we want to have you here in our Bible study and in our hearts. And so, Lord, we just ask you to bless all that we do here this morning. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin this morning by saying happy 4th of July. Uh, Friday night, we went to Sugar Mill Pond where Eli and Kaylee live, and we watched the fireworks over there. And I got to tell you, uh, I didn't feel so happy. You know, I actually felt sad watching the fireworks and thinking about America, the United States, what a great country this has been over the years, and how it's the, supposedly the land of the brave, and I, I do believe we have a lot of brave men fighting for us right now in the home of the free, but I wonder about our freedoms right now. I talked a little bit about it last week, but, and I kind of told you where all this was going to be heading, and I don't know if you noticed some of the things that happened this past week, but, but uh, the Supreme Court had given 25 days for this new law to take effect, to give states time to prepare for it, and every j state judge just overruled whatever the Supreme Court said, and, and uh, it went into effect immediately. Uh, that, you know, that's fine. I, I, I'm sure we're going we're gonna to get by, but what bothers me is, is the loss of freedom that I see already happening in our country. I saw, read an article this past week where a baker in Oregon, and I'm sure you've heard about his story, but they, they finalized the case, and and uh, they fined him $135,000 for refusing to bake a cake for a, for a lesbian wedding. And the judge's basis of the $135,000 fine was the trauma that it caused the women because it made them feel wrong about what they were doing. And uh, he went out of business. He's going out of business. And the judge also issued a gag order on him that he was not to say anything else to the press or anybody else about uh, homosexual marriage. And he said, to his credit, talking about home of the brave, he said, hey, they can find me, they can put me out of business, but they're not going to shut me up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like it is. What was really interesting was the guy said, well, I can take this a little bit further. He's forced to do a wedding or a cake for a wedding for a lesbian couple. And uh, he said, Walmart's is banned doing Confederate flags on their cakes. Now, I'm not a advocate of the Confederate flag, and that's not where I'm going here. But uh, so this guy went to Walmart and asked him to bake him a Confederate flag cake. And they said, no, we can't do that. Now, there, no judge stood up and said, hey, you've hurt his feelings. He loves the South, and you've made him think the South is wrong or something. Nobody stood up for that. He went back to Walmart. They wouldn't bake him a Confederate cake, but he went back to Walmart and asked him to bake him a cake with an ISIS flag on it, not icing, ISIS flag on it, and they baked that cake for him. 
So this is, you see how messed up all of this stuff is? What do we do? I mean, what do we do when we see the foundations crumbling around us? Well, we hit on it last week. What do we do? We draw near to God. I don't know if you've, you've had a chance to watch Charles Stanley this week, and I'm not advertising for him, but if you do get a chance, he has the Benham brothers on there, the ones who were, uh, had their show pulled uh, uh, from HGTV because they don't believe in homosexual marriage and they don't believe in, in uh, abortion. And, and, you know, they, that's their right. Supposedly that's their right, but they had their show pulled and they really uh, have a, a, a really good talk there. And then after that, Charles Stanley goes to that passage in First Chronicles and talks about what we're going to have to do. We're not going to win this politically. Uh, we're not going to win this uh, by fighting people. We're going to win this on our knees. And he asked his church, and I'll ask our church too, to commit. Commit yourself to praying for our nation. I mean, if, you, you, if you're not praying for our nation right now, shame on you. We, if you can't see the trouble we're in, Shame on us. Now, I know what I've heard, I've said before, some of y'all think I'm not for commitment. I don't believe you can commit to be a better person, a better father, or a better boss or whatever. I think you're a better person because you're safe. But because you're a better person, you can commit, you can't, you can't commit to be something, but you can commit to do something. And I believe Christians should be the most committed people in the world. And so we all need to commit to be praying for our nation, to be drawing near to God. And that's what we're looking at here in this text, this opportunity we have to draw near to God. I mean, over and over again in the Bible, we're encouraged to draw near to God. The psalmist Asaph in Psalm 73 says, uh, it is a very good thing for me to draw near to God. Oh, how right he is. I mean, James says it like this in, in his book, in chapter 4, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Peter says this in the first chapter of his epistle. He says that Jesus Christ died. He goes so far as to say Jesus Christ died so that we could draw near to God. That's why he died, so that we can draw near to God and have a relationship with God. And any Christian worth his salt knows that the pinnacle experience in the Christian faith is drawing near to God. I mean, and, and that's why the author of Hebrews has gone through such painstaking theological detail about the new covenant to get us to a place where we understand that we can draw near to God and we experience God as a near and present reality. I mean, if you're not experiencing God as a near and present reality, then you're missing out on the best part of the Christian faith. And so uh, when we do that, when we do draw near to God and we experience Him in a real way, then everything about our Christian life is enriched. Now, what do we have to do in order to draw near to God? What do we have to do? If you want to draw near to God and pray for this nation, you want to draw near to God and pray for your family, you want to draw near to God and pray for yourself, you want to draw near to God just to experience 
the presence of God. What do you got to do? Well, let me tell you what you've got to do. You have to be made absolutely perfect. You have to be absolutely perfect in order to draw near to God. And there's only one way for that to happen. And that's what the author showed us last week in that last text that we looked at. Actually, we looked at it in the last couple of weeks. Turn with me to chapter 10 of Hebrews and look at verse number 10. I mean, I, I don't know of a greater verse in the Bible than verse number 10 of the chapter 10 of Hebrews. He says, by that will, by the will of Jesus Christ to give up his body for our sins, by that will we have been sanctified. What's the word sanctified mean? It means to be made perfect. It means to be made holy. It means to be made uh, uh, a saint. That's what it means to be sanctified. He says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I mean, Jesus has paid it all. He's done it all. Everything he can possibly do to make a way for you into the holiest of holies, he has done it because he's made you perfect. If your faith is totally in the cross, then you're a perfect saint of God. And then, and then uh, uh, he says in verse number 11, basically what he's going to say in verse number 11 is that that never could have happened under the old covenant. He says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. What did those sacrifices do? They only covered sin, but they could never take away sin. They could never make you perfect. They could never make you holy. They could never make you a saint. None of those sacrifices can't do that. None of your good works can do that. You, you can't make any sacrifice that's going to make you better in God's eyes. And so... He says in verse 12, but this man, who's the man he's speaking of? Jesus Christ. After he had offered up one sacrifice, that one sacrifice on the cross, that's the only time he's ever going to get on the cross. One time he got on the cross. For by one offering we've been perfected by forever. He says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. What's that mean forever? What's forever mean in the Greek? Forever. That means all your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for by one offering. Can it get any better than that? Amen? Amen. Amen. What did he do? He started pacing because he said, man, I died for George, but you know how bad George is. I, I, this is just, it's going to take a lot more work than me dying on a cross to fix George. No. No. What did he do? He sat down. He sat down. Down. Why did he sit down? Because the work was finished. When he was on that cross and he was about to give up the spirit, he said, it is finished. I mean, the work is done. The work once and for all is done. For all time it's done. For all people it's been done. And so he sat down. Now, I don't know that Jesus sits on a throne uh, all the time now, but this is symbolic of him being done with his work on earth. I mean, he sat down at the right hand of God. He wields all the power of God. There's not two gods and two thrones. We've talked about this before. He sits at the right hand of God, which means he, he is the son who wields all the power of God. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he sits on that throne in all power, and he wields all power. And what's he do with all that power? Look at verse number 13. This is what he does with his power. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Into every one of his enemies, 
are made into his footstool. If you're here today and you're an enemy of God, one day you're going to be his footstool. But guess what? All of us were enemies of God at one time. All of us, every one of us. So before we start casting any stones at anybody else, we have to remember where we came from. We were enemies of God. Go back a few books to Colossians chapter 2. Or actually Colossians chapter 1. Just a few books back. Colossians chapter 1. Look down at verse 21. Listen to what he says. And you. He's speaking to the church. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. We all did a bunch of wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled. And so what he's done, he's reconciled us and he's made us his footstool. We're his footstool now ourselves. We bow down to the Lord. But we do it voluntarily because we've received Jesus Christ. What's going to happen to those people who don't bow down? What's going to happen to those people who say, Lord, I'm not going to bow down to you? Well, let me tell you what, they're going to bow down. Anybody who sees the Lord is going to fall on their face. Let me, just trust me. Paul uh, says in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those Supreme Court justices who said, God, you don't, we don't like what you say in your word. We don't believe what you say in your word. In fact, we don't even believe it's your word. We're not bowing down to your word. Well, let me tell you what. One day they're going to bow down to that word. One day, one day every knee is going to bow to the word, to the word of God. But we can't cast any stones even at them. We can't cast any stones at anybody because once we were enemies. And it took a lot for God to get us to bow down voluntarily. Thank goodness we were reconciled. And we weren't reconciled because of any good thing we did, were we? How were we reconciled? We'll go, back to the, go back to the text, back to verse number 14. Chapter 10, verse number 14. For by one sin offering, he's reconciled us. He has perfected forever. How long has he perfected me for? Forever. Those who are being perfected. Those who are being sanctified. He's perfected forever every person who's being sanctified. So it's the offering of Christ on the cross that sanctifies us and perfects us forever. There's a couple of things that we need to learn about that verb to sanctify. There's something we can learn from the grammar that's used in the Greek about that verb. Uh, first of all, it's always when, it's, when, when it's sanctification is spoken of in the Bible, when our sanctification is spoken of in the Bible, it's always a passive verb. What's a passive verb? A passive verb is a, it means that you receive the action. You don't make the action happen. If I say the ball is being thrown, the ball doesn't throw itself. Someone throws the ball. So that being thrown is a passive verb. So, so when we speak of sanctification... It's always in the passive. We always receive the action. We don't sanctify ourselves. We're being sanctified. Man, let me tell you what. I don't know if you caught that or not, but that's great news. That's really good news. 
Because the burden of sanctification isn't on me, it's put squarely upon God. So if you're not perfect, and I don't know many of you here, you are perfect. But if you don't act very perfect, and I don't know many of you here that act very perfect other than me. <laughs> Y'all are supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Nathan's going to tell you all about that Wednesday night. I'm, I'm just teasing. But if you're not perfect, you are perfect in God's eyes. I mean, you are perfect because you're being sanctified. He's going to sanctify you. It's God's job to sanctify you. Listen to what Jude says about Christians. He says, he calls Christians those who are being sanctified, being sanctified by God the Father. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Whose work is it completely? It's God's work completely. And he who calls you is faithful to do it. And so sanctification is all of God's work. If you don't feel very good about yourself, don't worry about that. If you're born again, you're going to be perfect one day. And in God's eyes, you're already perfect. That leads me to the second grammatical thing that we need to learn about sanctification. And that are, that it's always, that it's spoken of in three, not always, but it's spoken of in three different tenses. Present tense, past tense, and future tense. I mean, the Bible speaks of the fact that uh, we have been sanctified. I mean, look at verse number 10. By this will we have been sanctified. That's past tense, past and past tense. Uh, look at verse number 14. For one offering, he has perfected you. So it speaks of sanctification in past tense. It speaks of sanctification in present tense. We are being sanctified. I mean, and, and then it speaks of sanctification in future tense, the fact that we will be sanctified. Now, let's go back to the present tense. How can God say that I'm already sanctified, I'm presently sanctified, when I'm such a kind of a, I'm not such a saint after all. Man, I don't act like the saint, I don't act like that perfect saint that God believes I am. How can he do that? How can he do that? Because he knows it's his work. And he who began that work in you, Paul says, will complete that work to the end. He will sanctify you completely. So it's his work. God is also omniscient and he sees the future. He sees, he sees you right now. He sees every one of you in this room who are born again right now. He sees you as absolutely perfect. He sees the future. He knows where you're going to be. So you might be fretting over your position as far as sanctification goes, but he's not. You might not seem to be so perfect right now to your, to your wife or to your husband, but one day you're going to be perfect. Everybody looked at Matt when I said that. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But then there's also, he, there's also uh, we've been sanctified, we're being sanctified. How are we being sanctified? We're sanctified, we're sanctified, uh, by the word of God, through the spirit of God. I mean, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter. Peter, he describes saints in his first letter as those who are sanctified by the spirit because they have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter uh, 17, verse 19, he, he says, I sanctify myself they are also, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. 
Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and 26 says Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her through the washing of the water of the word. And so we're, we're being sanctified. We've been sanctified. It's past tense. In God's eyes, he's already sees us as sanctified. We're being sanctified. Uh, that's exactly what he says in verse number 14. We're being sanctified right now by the spirit and by the word. So sanctification is a done deal. And it's also a deal that's happening now, and it's also going to be done in the future. He speaks of future sanctification. And, and, and man, you talk about a great promise. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, he says that one day Jesus will present us holy and blameless. Holy means sanctified. It means made a saint. Holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. John says it like this in 1 John chapter 3, 2. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when he is revealed, we will be like him. You catch that? I mean, it's a process. God's making us like Christ, and it's a very painful process, by the way, if you haven't noticed it yet. It's a very painful process. He's making us like Christ. We've already been made like Christ, and one day we will be made like Christ. To me, the best news of all is that it's passive, that God's going to do it all. He began the work. He's going to complete the work, and I can trust him. All right, now, let's, now, how can I be sure that it's God's work? Well, God's told us throughout his word that it's his work. Way back when he first established the new covenant, he told us that it was his work. Go with, then that's what he's going to show us next. Pick up in verse number 15. He says, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant I will make. Now he's quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31, way back when God kind of gave us a hint about the new covenant that was coming. He said, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And he also says, he adds, their sins, I love this verse, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So whose work is that? It's all God's work. In the new covenant, in the old covenant, you did good and you got good. You did bad and you got bad. But in the new covenant, it's all about what God does. Listen to what, look, look at those eyes there. I will make uh, this covenant. I will put my laws on their heart. I will write them on their minds. I will remember their sins no more. Can it get any better than that? And so, since he's not going to remember my sins anymore, because of what? Because I've gotten to be a good person? No, because of what Christ did on the cross. So if God has wiped away all my sins, past, present, and future, forever, then is there any need for any more sacrifice? No, the cross has done it all. You can't make any sacrifices to add to that. And so that's what he says in the next verse, verse number 18. He says, now where there is remission of these, where there's remission of these, he's talking about sin, there's no, there is no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer an offering for sin. I mean, if all our sins are paid for, there's nothing left we can do to, for God to perfect us. Or, or, there's nothing left we can do to be made perfect. There's nothing left, left to do so that we will be made perfect. 
We're, we're all of those things in the eyes of God, not because of anything we do, but because what Jesus Christ has done for us. Therefore, now we get to where we've been heading in this entire book. Here it is. This is it. This is what you've been doing all this studying about the last few months. Therefore, since all your sins are paid for, since God doesn't remember your sins anymore, since he's given you his law on your mind and on your heart, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, how do we enter? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we enter. And we don't enter the holiest of holies cowering. We enter, enter the holiest of holies as children of God. We enter boldly. We walk into his presence boldly. Why can we walk in there boldly? Because perfect love casts out fear. I mean, you can walk into the presence of God, and why does he see you? He sees you as absolutely perfect. I don't care what you did today. I mean, you could have robbed a bank this morning, and you can still walk in. Yeah, you're probably going to go to jail. I'm not recommending that. And God's going to make sure you go to jail, and he's going to spank you really good. But once you're in jail, you can get into the presence of God because you are still absolutely perfect because he still sees you in the future. He still sees you glorified. He still sees you perfected forever. You're absolutely perfect. So no matter what you've done, you can boldly walk into the throne room of God at any time. I'm not ask, uh, asking you to test God on this because you don't want to sin that grace may abound. I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes we do fall into sin. And, and, and what's the devil going to do, the accuser? He's going to say, man, you've, God's had it with you. What are you doing praying? You think God's going to listen to you? You're going to hear that. You, you do something bad today, and I promise you, you're gonna, the devil's going to make you feel like God doesn't want anything to do with you. But you can still walk boldly into the very presence of God. Look at verse number 20. He says, how do we walk in? We walk in by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. What's the new and living way? What's the new and living way? I'll tell you what the new and living way. It is a person. It's he. It's Jesus Christ. He's the new and living way. It, Jesus is a new way. He's not like the old way. I mean, the old covenant, the law condemned. The law produced dead works, and there was no relationship with God. You know why there was no relationship with God? Because it didn't change our nature. The old way never changed our nature. But the, there's a new way, and the new way is Jesus Christ himself. Remember what Jesus said in John? He said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. The life. The life that changes you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who allows you to draw near to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one draws near to the Father except by me. How, does it, how do we draw near to the Father? Because we've been sprinkled with the blood. Where's the life? The life's in the blood. The life of God is what you've been sprinkled with. You've been given the life of God. And so you've been given an entrance way into the holiest of holies. But there was something that always kept us back. 
What was that? What kept us from entering the holiest of holies? It was our sinful flesh. And, 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 and that kept us from the presence of God. But by the ripping of his perfect flesh, the veil was taken away that separated us from God and the way was made wide open for us to enter the presence of God. And that's why when Jesus died, as soon as he gave up the spirit, the, the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And it was symbolic of what had happened when his flesh was ripped away. Your flesh was ripped away. Your old flesh was ripped away. I reckon myself as dead to sin and alive to Christ because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. And that's the only way I can do that. And then, it, I mean, it, I don't want to say it gets better, but some more good news. Let me put it that way. Verse number 21. And having a high priest over the house of God. We have a high priest over the house of God. Who is that high priest? Jesus Christ. He's the high priest. You understand what that means? In the Levitical priesthood, what did the high priest do? He stood between man and God. So like the veil, he represented separation. I mean, the high priest went in to make the offering for the sins, and then Moses would talk for the people, but the people couldn't really get in to talk to God. So the high priest kind of was a form of separation. But under the new covenant, there is no mediator between God and man except who? Jesus Christ. And guess who he happens to be? He happens to be God. And so the mediator that stands between you and God is God himself. And so there is no mediator. You can go right in and you can speak directly to God. So what do we do? Don't we just go home and watch TV, right? No. Let us. He's going to give us three lettuces here. And I'm not talking about the vegetable. I'm talking about three exhortations. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in the assurance of faith. He's going to give us one in, in verse 22. He's going, to, he's going to say, let us draw near in faith. In verse number 22, he's going to say, let us cling to our hope. Or, or verse 23, he's going to say, let us cling to our hope. In verse 24, he's going to say, let us do good works for one another. So there's three lettuces there. Let's, let, us do, let us stir up love and do good works, verse number 24. So you see faith, and you see hope, and you see love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, uh, uh, he says, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. And we see these written out for us right here or, or described for us right here in verse 22, 23, and 24. The first one, let us draw near with a true heart, a heart true to God. Why are we true to God? Because God has made us his children. I mean, he's paid for our sins. He's, he's given us interest way into the holiest of holies. So let us draw near in full assurance of faith, believing that you can draw near to God because of what Christ has done for you. Let me tell you how this full assurance of faith works. You draw near because you're fully assured of, assured of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's why you draw near. But when you draw near and experience the presence of God, what happens to your faith? Man, it shoots up like a rocket ship. So the more you draw near, the greater your faith. The greater your faith, the more you draw near. It's kind of a self-perpetuating thing. If you're, if, you're, if, if you're not drawing near to God, you're going to have a weak faith. I can tell you that right now. If you're drawing near to God, you're going to have a very strong faith. 
So he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts, how do we draw near? We're sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ from our evil ways. And our bodies are washed in the pure water of the Spirit and the Word. We're being sanctified. We've been, we've been sanctified by the blood, but we're being sanctified by the water, by the water, which is the Word and the Spirit. And then he goes on to verse number 23, and he says, Let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What's my hope? You know what my hope is? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He's washed it white as snow. That's my hope. My hope is that, that one day when I see Christ, I will be like him. That's my hope. My hope, I have full assurance of faith in my hope that one day I'm going to live forever with God. I have full assurance of my hope that I can be with God right now in his, in his very presence. And so let us hold fast to our confession of our hope without wavering, for it's his work. He doesn't say because you promised to do that, because he who promised is faithful. He who began a good work in you is going to complete it to the end. That's your hope. That one day you'll be like Christ. And who's going to do that work? Are you going to do that work? No, God's going to do that work. And then the final lettuce, he says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. If you're drawn near to God, in full assurance of faith and hope. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love. And so if you're filled with love, then the Spirit's going to stir up that love to make you want to do good to other people, good for other people. Actually, the King James says provoke, and one translation says it makes you ecstatic about doing good for other people. You know, if you're a really self-centered person and you could care less about helping other people, i got to believe you're not drawing near to God. If we're, if, we're just, if we're living our lives out just for ourselves, i got to believe we're not drawing near to God. Because when we draw near to God, we're going to be stirred to good works. Faith without works is dead. I mean, this getting into God and drawing near to God is all God's work. And you don't add anything to that. And that's where a lot of people mess up. They're trying to add on the front end. But if you go into the presence of God, you're going to be stirred to do good for other people. And if you're not stirred and ecstatic about doing good for other people, you're probably not drawing near to God. And he concludes that with the last verse we'll look at today. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. How many times have you seen this verse taken out of context? I mean, and, and, and possibly that's okay. I, I think it's always dangerous to take a verse out of context. This one you probably can do, but you miss the whole meaning of it if you do. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. So much more as we see the day approaching approaching you know i don't think the author just suddenly decided you know i'm going to break away from what i'm doing and i'm going to uh, make a uh, theology about attending church that wasn't what he was doing right here we this is tied to the third lettuce what's the third lettuce let us consider one another in order to stir up love to get excited about doing good works for others when you draw near to god and you're filled with the spirit of god then you're going to be excited about doing 
good things for other people. You're going to be excited about helping other believers. But let me ask you something. How can you help other believers if you aren't part of an assembly? You know, I've said it over and over. These people that say they don't have to be part of an assembly, they're not reading the Bible. They're very self-centered because you have to be part of an assembly in order to do what the Bible prescribes that you do. You can't minister to the church if you're not part of the church. The word church means assembly. It, it means the, the assembly of the ones who are called out by God to be children of God. That's what the word means, the assembly of the called out ones. So if you're stirred up to love and you're just sitting in your house, who are you going to love? Well, I love my family. Everybody loves their family. The pagan loves their family. So how do you love the church when you're not part of the church? I mean, we gather together. The reason we gather together, I mean, can you worship God like we worship God this morning just by yourself? I mean, sometimes there's, there's, there's a place for personal worship. But there's something special about corporate worship where the Spirit of God shows up, I believe. So we should gather together. So we exhort one another by worshiping God together, by praying together, by studying God's Word. When you open up this Word in, in, in the assembly, and you're right with God, and you're a born-again believer, that something should be happening here. Something You should be being sanctified by this word. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in here, here in a minute. We do that as an assembly. You know what's exciting about being part of a church? To see people get saved and then get baptized. That's exciting. You wouldn't want to miss that. And then there's this idea, you know, I think we miss it a lot of times, but, hey, we should be stirred to help one another. We should see people at our church in need, and we should be willing to help those people. How can you do any of those things if you aren't part of an assembly? And you know what the tendency is? As things get darker, and as we get closer to that day, the tendency is to withdraw from the church. Man, it should be just the opposite. Look at what he says there. He says, especially, I mean, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially as you see the day approaching. What's the day? That's the day of the Lord. That's the great tribulation. i got to tell you, I don't believe that day is very far off right now. And so, if there's ever been a time that you need to be a part of an assembly, now's the time to do that. I, because the tougher things get, the more we're going to need each other. You've got to be blind as a bat right now to not see that that day is rapidly approaching. On the same day, last Friday, when that or a week ago Friday, has it been a week? Yeah. When the Supreme Court made that decision, on the very same day, the Pope signed, and this kind of got washed in the back part of the news, the Pope signed an agreement with the Palestinians, recognizing them as a state, and in essence, throwing, they actually signed a, uh, an agreement between the two where they will set up embassies and do all of that, recognizing them as a state, 
and in, 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 in effect throwing Israel under the bus. I mean, that reads like right out of Revelation. I mean, you read Revelation. And things are being set up. I don't know how much longer we have. It might be a few years. It might be 100 years. I'm, I'm tending now to think it's just a few years. And as this day approaches, things are going to get really difficult for the church. We already see that happening. And if anything, if there's ever been a time we need to draw near together, then, then uh, now's the time. And as we see that day approach, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, we, just as he tells us here, we're to continue to assemble and we're to work together to do God's will. We're to draw near to God together. I believe that's important. And we're to draw near to God as individuals. That's even more important. And when we do, if we do that, then we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. You draw near to God, you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And that love is going to excite us. It's going to provoke us. It's going to stir us to want to help one another. But not only that, it's going to stir us to helping those people who don't know Jesus Christ to get to know Jesus Christ. And not only that, we're going to have the power. If we're drawing near to God, we're going to have the power to reach this lost and dying world, at least some. A few years back, I heard this true story about this Spanish rancher who had a serious run-in with his college son. His son was doing all sorts of evil things, and he got in a real spat with his son and said some really harsh things to him, and his rebellious son packed up his stuff and went to the city of Madrid. And a few days after the rancher's son left, he, he was really wanting his son back. And he was ready to do anything he had to do to get him back. So he checked on him in Madrid with friends and stuff, but, but uh, they were to no avail. So he, he went himself to the city of Madrid, and for months he searched for his son couldn't find him. So in this one last desperate attempt to find his son, he took out a full-page ad in the largest newspaper in Madrid. And the ad read as follows. It said, Paco, all is forgiven. I want you back home. I love you. Please meet me Saturday at noon in front of the newspaper office. Signed, Dad. Well, that Saturday, his son didn't show up, but over 800 Pacos did. <laughs> hoping to find love and forgiveness from their dads. You know, this Bible, and especially this text of Hebrews, is God's ad in which he says son or daughter 
I love you. All is forgiven. I want you back home with me in my presence in the holiest of holies. Meet me at the front of the cross and nowhere else. And I will take you there and you will be with me forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ, Lord, the real hope. We thank you for the full assurance of faith we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, help all of these things to stir us up, to not only help one another, Lord, and to exhort one another in these dark days, but to reach people in this lost and dying world, Lord. At times are really getting dark, and Lord, we know when things get dark, your light shines its brightest. And so now's the time, Lord, for us to put away our idols, to draw ever nearer to you, Lord, and to be stirred to do great things for the kingdom of God. We can only do that through Christ, by his blood. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.